Hello and welcome back to Flights to Allegasia. It is a weird day. We're not recording in the morning. We're not recording in the evening. We're recording right smack dab in the middle of the fucking day. So let's see how we're at this time because I'm actually not that tired. I don't believe I'm going to get tired. I'm not starting tired. So I think we're going to do decent. Um, I think we'll be good. I just woke up. So hell yeah. With that being said, Armin, do you have any updates in life that you need to share with our listeners? No. No, it's just, I mean, we've had a lot of snow. I'm the only person that enjoys it. Okay. That's, that's about it. That's right. pretty t- <laughs> um, We have weather where literally it was 80 degrees or like 75 degrees yesterday, and it is dropped down to 30 degrees today. So sounds, sounds about, about right. right. It sounds about right for where I live. Um, but that being said, though, I don't really think there's much more. Again, thank you, everyone, for listening. Thank you for supporting. Thank you for joining our Facebook pages. Thank you for joining our Twitter page. I know I failed last time to send out the readings. I'm going to send out the reading this time if you've seen it. Uh, but I'm trying to get better at being on top of that. Yeah. Oh, if you haven't bought them and some people still have a whole bunch of them, go buy some Girl Scout cookies because why not? Um, yeah. They're good. Uh, they're addicting. They're very addicting. I'm eating some right now. Um, huh. Uh, I think that's it, man. If you, if you want to go ahead and jump right in, I'm, I'm down with that. All right. What is it? Dazed and confused? All right, all right, all right. I don't remember um, that one. I think that's not the Kane. I think that's what he says. Oh yeah. I, I know that from the Drifter and Destiny, but um I think that's a I think that's a quote of, of Matthew McConaughey's. But all right, all right, all right. Chapters twenty two and twenty-three, man and wife whispers in the night. This is interesting. Or all right. So Roar and Katrina finally get married. Finally. Finally, they done also, got hitched, and they're gonna be all a happy, happy couple, <laughs> and they're gonna be all right. Um, but it's okay. This one made me feel a little bit better. If we remember what we were talking about last episode, it took them four hours to get everybody arranged. So yeah. that one, yeah, no, they didn't do it the hour after they let everybody get cleaned up. So like, I guess my griping from last episode can can just be shut up now. But um, it still makes but, sense though. Like, come on, you had a big ass battle. You wanted like. You got wounded people, you got killed people. Like, I don't know. I'm still a little bit yeah. like, at least wait a day. Yeah, I would definitely like, after a battle, there wasn't anything immediate that I had to like attend to. I just go you know, take a nap, like, yeah, the shower. But regardless, regardless, there's one little detail. First of all, Nasueda invites the Cole and invites Nargarsvog. Yes. Um, or Garsvog, yeah. Um, and I actually really like that little detail. And I I also like how self-aware the chieftain was. Like he realized that like he he knew like I appreciate that, but no, that's not a good idea. Not at something sacred you people call weddings. Yeah, and, I really uh, I really do appreciate that little hint a good right touch. there. Yeah. Um I also um, like I feel that like I sometimes worry. I'll get to this later with what is to come in this in these chapters of recovering. I'm sometimes worried about Nasueda's actions you know and like and me don't too. get me wrong i get that she's trying to mean like mean well but like at least inviting him good for him to being very self-aware but at the same time i'm like this is not even your fucking wedding like i don't want to be rude but i mean no it's not but it's also like uh she and aragon did agree to make it a public thing that's fair it's not their wedding but like also, yeah. also, Roran and Katrina weren't paying for it. That's true. <laughs> so, That's for damn sure. They they were they weren't paying for anything. 
guests. So yeah. they actually got paid in the process. <laughs> so, I mean, yeah, I, I expect like that, that from you. I expect a big old dowry somehow out of your pocket. That's yes, right. Out of mine. <laughs> out of your college student pocket. That's right. You definitely didn't offer to pay part of my tuition. <laughs> Wait, what'd you say? I said you definitely didn't offer to pay part of my tuition. No, I never did that. <laughs> Point is, yes, but, um, I always offered. Guys, I'm a very good friend. I always offered. Yes, he did. But also, point being, he has the money and I don't. Um, so, yeah, I wish. Or <laughs> Tell me where is that? Yeah. But, uh, <laughs> Weddings are expensive, people. Yeah. But details, whatever. But this wedding. Details. Not pay. They didn't pay for it, so you know. I honestly, if I wasn't paying for my wedding, I would let anybody who wanted to come. <laughs> yeah, same. Like if, if you're paying for it, by all means, invite whomever you'd like. Oh yeah, because um, I mean, there's already going to be a crazy uncle there that I have to invite. So I mean, yeah. But um, and if you don't know who the crazy uncle is, I think you should look in the mirror. Just say you might damn. see him. <laughs> just say if you can't find. <laughs> hey, I'm just saying if you can't find the crazy person. Do a little self-reflection and see why. That's fair. That's all. Every family's got a crazy person. <laughs> but, uh, um, so we're anyway, still assholes if we record during the middle of the day, apparently. We're just... Yeah, we are. We're, always, we're just, we're just funnier about yeah. it. Okay, cool. Good to know. <laughs> it was a cute wedding. It was. It was, like, it was a nice scene. They, they technically, like, you know, Palini already had, like, the nice home scene, you know, like, with the feast. Yeah. Uh, where everybody had fun a couple of sections ago. Um, so he doesn't really go back into it with this one. He just kind of has, you know, it's a good time and all that stuff. Um, and the gutsy move by Roran with his wedding vows. That's just asking for trouble, bro. See, I didn't like, even think about it. Like, I was like, all right, whatever. And then they kind of explained it. I was like, well, damn. damn. Yeah, no, I didn't. If Palini hadn't called attention to it by explaining people's reactions, which is a good, that's a good insight by him to know that the audience would have probably missed that if he hadn't drawn attention to it. But um because i definitely would have like i just just skip that over but like that how he described it that is kind of gutsy that's like you're, you're gonna stake your wedding on that dude <laughs> that's yeah. uh that's patriotism right there um but, uh, but uh, sorry that was a bad <sighs> joke but um i mean i like it though like it's you know it's sweet go big or go home i mean if yeah. he doesn't succeed then he's gonna die anyway so i mean yeah. you might as well stake everything on it Exactly. We'll get to the ramifications of that later, though. Yes. Um, that was yeah. That was but intense. There's not much. Yeah. There's not much more to say about the wedding. It was a nice. It was a nice scene. Something we've been waiting for for a while. It finally happened. Um, yeah. And uh, afterwards, Aragon and this way to go visit the injured soldiers. Um, and I'm gonna be totally honest. I know this is a very commonly used trope. Like it's. But it's it's a trope for a reason. People appreciate it. Like, you know, the leader goes around and talks to all the soldiers before or after the battle. It shows like the camaraderie. But I really like it when authors have their characters do that, it's particularly leaders, because it shows investment. It shows like their actual character. And yes, it's like a very stereotypical thing for like good leaders to do. But it's stereotypical for a reason. Like, it's, it's just a good thing. If anyone's seen any war movie, it always happens. You, you always have a medic shot. Whether, you're, whether your characters and the leads are actually going into the hospital or not, if it's a war film, there's a shot of a medic scene. Like the, It always is. And it's a good, it's, yeah. it's classic. It is. And, and the biggest thing is, in my head, the reason it's such a classic, it brings things to a reality within the storyline. If, yeah, like, if you're just like, oh yeah, all these people got injured, 
and then kept on going about your day as if they weren't, you know, it, it just kind of, in my head, it helps bring reality to the scene at which, which is at hand. Absolutely. It's a good, like, it's a good mix of um, like a reality factor and a character factor. Yeah. Um, like to see how they interact with people and to show that like casualties of war and the after effects of it are still a thing, especially with the wedding sort of taking away from that. So that's also like that. Those two sequences of events were really well timed with Palini. I, 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 I appreciate how he did that in the medical tent. This honestly, I kind of want to read a part of the section again. Okay. Like as, as we're doing this, because this was so weird. There's I'm getting not annoyed, but I'm getting very I'm getting intrigued. I guess I'm getting a little bit annoyed, people. You probably hear my voice. I'm getting very intrigued and a little bit of annoyed with how many random things are happening and occurring yeah. in these, in these, and these, it, like within these past, within this book. I mean, you had the girl walking, and like it, it, we talk, we'll talk about the ship later. But like, there's all these random things. Uh, the dude in the in the Elven Towers and stuff. Like, it, like yeah. there's so many random things that are occurring in this book. That I'm just like does it connect is it just weird is it just story is it just like red herrings and just like wanting to be there so i don't know yeah actually i i do want to talk about that the amount of random things and we'll get into that i want to talk about that towards the end um because uh i've just an interesting take on it in terms of like the audience interaction with the story but for now this dude i don't even know if he has a name um but he says something like the um I knew you would come. I've been waiting for you ever since the light illuminated the light illuminated the flesh of the world. I saw every living thing around me. The gods have touched me. Um, you're blazing. There's a lot of symbolism between light in terms of this is a cool symbolism trope. Um, is that honestly we think about like light in terms of like clarity or goodness, like light versus darkness. There's also a lesser used but equally important um, symbol of light being truth, clarity, guidance. Um, Brandon Mole uses this really well in his fourth book of uh, Five Kingdoms. And Paolini goes through here with, I'm thinking, a similar symbolic meaning in terms of light that shows meaning or casting a light upon something uh, or shining light on a subject. So um, he's talking about illuminating the flesh of the world and he sees Aragon burning bright and his brother, um, the light from his soul shone through him as if it came from somewhere else. He was a void, a shape of a man. Um, and through that shape came the brilliance that burned. Others illuminated him. So the meaning behind that, we will probably figure out eventually. But in terms of just basic symbolism, if you want to talk light, V dark, Aragon, burning bright, Murtaugh, evil, darkness, void, that sort of thing. But also about truth and... A perception of reality between Aragon and Murtaugh. Aragon is genuine in what he is. Murtaugh is not, because Murtaugh has essentially been like scooped out and filled in again. Like he's been like, he's been remade into a villain. Yeah. So it's just it was a really cool touch there in terms of like uh, how Palini uses light in this section to show. I mean, we already knew this about characters about both of them, but it adds an extra little nuance or definition to both of their characters i mean if, if, if we're diving into this section i'll be glad to keep diving in more into it with my Absolutely. own thoughts okay cool um we here we, we we even hear about yes and we hear about how 
Murtaugh's light, quote unquote, is coming from another source, right? Yeah. If, 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 is that is that right? I'm trying yeah, to it's remember like the light, correctly. The light shines through him. I've got it. It's uh, the exact words he says is um, uh, he he was a void shape of a man. Others illuminated him. Others right. in italics. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and so with that being said. I know it's really far-fetched. There's never really a description of where the quote-unquote the rays of light are coming from through him, right? And no. within the session. And so you never know whether it's coming from behind him, the side of him, front of him. Blah, blah, blah. Point is, is light is showing, shining through him because he is a void, he's darkness, he is evil. And with that being said, I mean, symbolically in my head, as, we're, as I'm thinking about it, do you think it's just Aragon shining through him? Instead of like, it, he's he, what it is, is he's not, it, it's, it's, it's when he says others, he doesn't, the guy, because he never really actually located them. He doesn't know it's just Aragon alone or. Do he's, you, he does. He oh, does. okay. Okay. So he says, um, I could feel them close at hand, raging at the world. That's right. They That's hated right. everything in it, but their bodies were hidden from my sight. That's right. Um, I, wonder the, I wonder what the fuck those are. So at a, when I first read it, I thought it would be because you know how Aragon has the elves supporting him. Um, so I thought it'd be the same thing, just the people supporting Murtaugh, but Me they're too. nowhere to be found. Um, but that still makes sense because we have like we we still have that mystery of how Galvatorx is able to influence his illusions over so far a distance. Um, now, this this is my thought process. What if it's of the dead? I know I know I kind of jokingly said it in the past. And what like do you mean episode. of the dead? Like necromancy shit. Okay, how so? What, let's say Galvatorix is able to yield the spirits of the dead and control the spirits. You know, we already had that situation when Arya and Aragorn were in the woods with spirits and the spirits came by them, remember? And they just let them do this weird shit and we're like, what the fuck is happening? Remember oh, that's that? right, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And so what if there's a scenario where Gabatorix was able to yield the dead spirits and because of, and mainly maybe it's, he just found the most hating people in the world, <laughs> the anger, angry people in the world and took the spirits. But the point is, is that those spirits are what fill the angry void that he cannot see. And that's why you can't put them to a particular person, but you can feel the emotions of them. So it's never that yeah. you can actually put it to a body, which you can't see because there isn't one but it's there and it's around him. So that's my, that's, and, and yeah, like, that makes a lot of sense. That's my only, that's my only thought process on how and where it could come from personally. I had a different one, but that is really, like, I really, that makes a lot of sense in terms of what we've seen and everything that's happened because in a world like this, like spirits, definitely, we have the whole existence of the shades and what they are and like all, all that stuff that Palini has neglected to talk about yet. He's definitely going to, but, yeah. um, that's like I think that's extremely viable. Other thought, the thought process that I had was that Galvatorx was in the camp. I thought that too, and that oh oh, this ties into the next one, the next chapter with the whispers in the night. It, that's the thing I'm thinking in my head. It it kind of okay. it kind of ties together with what you're saying though. It, it, it directly it. ties with it. The Go ship is Galvatorx. The ship or the, the ship, shit? The ship. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yes the ship and the ship is all galvatorx but the ship, the ship is galvatorx and the reason i say that is i don't know how 
like we can understand how magic usually works in this world, but we don't understand completely how it works. And I mean, I don't think anybody does other than Paolini himself. The point is, is what if there was a way that he made this innocent looking ship be his actual biggest and best spy? It gathered information through the grass and through the spirits and through the life of the grass that it was made from. It's gathered information. It knows things. In theory, you know, when elves talk about hearing and listening to nature and understanding nature, I get Galbatorix isn't a one, one green thumb dude kind of guy, but he, well, I mean, what if he has learned to listen to the blades of grass or listen to nature? And this also kind of goes with my correlation where with you, that's how he's inside the camp. He took nature from himself and got it there or something got there and he's now able to use or he was really ugly and did really shitty thing and made one of the, the zombie people spirits gather the ground. I don't know. But point is, is what if that was a scenario and that's how he's listening and hearing things. Okay. I know that was that's a long entire, ramble. Yeah, that's entirely viable. For some reason, I thought the ship had been enchanted by someone earlier on. I don't remember. I saw your notes like, about that. And I don't recall. I was like, I could have sworn that somebody enchanted the ship in like book one. Like, no idea. I just sent it. I can't remember. Like, I, for some reason, I like, I, for some so reason, like, that memory is popping up in my head, but I don't know who. And I don't even know if that's true. If that's just me, Cap. But like, some, some Gandalf shit where he just sends off a, like a butterfly and it comes back a yeah. bit later. Yeah. <laughs> like, um, for some reason, I feel like Brahm or Arya did something like that. Like, that. Now, with me talking to what I just said about the elves and everything, it makes me think a little bit more that it's um, Oromus and Gladier, not Galvatorix. Just what do you mean? Like the ship is the work of them? Yeah, and like okay, that's yeah. my thought process. A little bit that makes a little bit more sense in terms of elven culture and everything in my head. But doesn't yeah. mean that Galvatorix couldn't do it. Oh, um, absolutely not. But no, Although, I, tell me more of why you think Galvatorix is in the camp, though. Like, like, what do you suspect? Like, where is he? Well, the greatest thing about anonymity and the extreme anonymity that got, that Paolini has weaved around Galvatorix. Okay, for those who are um, still in first grade reading <clears throat> levels, what does that word mean? He's anonymous. He doesn't have a name or a personality cool. or like a... We don't know much about him. Thank you. Um, yeah. <laughs> Not a first grade reading level either. <laughs> it's a kindergarten reading level, bitch. Yeah, I know, <laughs> I know. <laughs> I wanted to sound I'm smart. Kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> um, but because we know so little about Galvatorx and we don't know where he is, we assume that he's in Urube. Um, <clears throat> is my idea that Galvatorx, I'm still behind the puppet master idea. Like, I still think that he... I'm tired of it. Me too. But I still think it's true. Um, and because nobody actually ever knows where he is or what he's doing, he could be anywhere doing anything. Um, so like, I, all right, I'm going to break this down like he used, <laughs> like a Easter, um, <clears throat> in terms of Galbatorx's actions, he has a lot of ways that he can destroy the Varden. First of all, he could literally just go do it himself for everything that they know. He can literally just, he could like, he just could essentially Thanos snap them without okay. getting his head cut off. Like he could do all of that 
if he was fighting with his armies, he'd never lose a battle. Sure, he could get unlucky and Holmes could be really scared of dying, but like that didn't stop him from slaughtering all of the old riders. Plus, <clears throat> he's losing. And he's sending, <clears throat> excuse me, trivial tests after Aragon. He's, yes, we know that. He's, Murtog is trying to capture Aragon. Galvatorx wants to rebuild the riders into something great. Yeah. yeah. Um, but that doesn't mean that Galvatorx can't just fly with Shuragon out and just take him himself really fucking easily. Like, um, which means that there's, I see that the reason behind that being for two things. One, he's not scared of them enough to do that. Or two, they have something they don't know about that he is afraid of. Which makes me think that if he's not scared of, like, I, the approach that I would take for most villains would be, he's not scared of anything they can throw at him. So he's just fucking with them. Like, yeah. um, like the play with your prey kind of thing. Yeah. Um, which is why I can see him just hiding in plain sight. Because you never expect for Galbatorix to be a wounded soldier in an inf- in like an infirmary tent as part of your army. Plus, we already know he's a, like we think he's a master of illusions. We haven't actually seen any of it, but they reference it a lot in book two. Which means he can hide Shurgun. He can hide himself. He can hide his effect on the world. We don't know what he can do, and we don't know what he's doing or where he even is. We assume he's in Urubain because he never leaves there accordingly, but he, like Later on in the section, the Sueda literally says, but you can leave your dragon here and Galvatorix won't know that you're gone. So if Aragon can do that, Holmes can definitely do that. Like, um, like if they all think he's in Urubain and he has better spies than they do, and they're going to pull that, oh, the dragon's here, but the rider's not, so the rider must be here still, then he can definitely do that. Exactly. Um, so I'm... I think he could be, like, one of the reasons why is he could be, like, one, we know he has spies in the camp. Like, we know he has spies among them. They can't use magic because they're low-grade magicians and Aragorn will notice. But, uh... Yeah. So, I don't know. I think think he could be present. I'm still not behind that there's something fishy about Ormus and Glader. Um, Like, whatever their condition is. Not just their condition, just what they know. Like there is, yeah. there is something that has not been revealed about them yet, and it's gonna, it's gonna be a plot. Like it's gonna be a drop. Like which I'm thankful that Aragon kind of touches base with that in the in the last chapter we read. He does, but he does it from a student standpoint. He does oh, it from definitely. a we're ready yeah, yeah. to learn this, not a this might crush me kind of thing. Yeah. Um. So, I definitely, I'm curious to see how that goes. I'll. Or missing Glader have something about them that's going to be a plot twist. Yeah. Um, for better or for worse. But regardless of all that, Galvatorix's complete state of anonymous or of anonymity, of not knowing who or like where he is, what he's doing, anything along those lines, means that he is free to do whatever he wants in terms of the readers. Right. So I think he could be anywhere. And I could also definitely see the hide in plain sight would work perfectly with Galvatorix. You're expecting to find him riding a massive black dragon, setting fire to villages and cackling evilly as he throws thunderbolts. Like, you're expecting to find him in his bastion. The hide in plain sight thing would work perfectly for him. Yeah. So, 
going back to one of Armin's classic, classic predictions, Nisueta is Galbatorix. I didn't say that. No, I'm just saying you always suspect some random person is. That definitely is not. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's fair. But like, Tenka? No. <laughs> it's definitely not Tenka. Um, honestly, I'm just kidding. I'm still... I'm still unconvinced about Ormus, but um, uh, but who knows, man? I mean, we will eventually know, but um, and all of the people listening know. So, yes, we're being stupid right now. But regardless, I'm being stupid right now. So correct that. But um, anyway, anyway, just I appreciate the light thing. Um, creatures they aren't human, and their hate. It's like largest thunderstorm crammed in the tiny glass bottle. I think your spirit thing is actually probably the most viable explanation for this. Um, like, we know, like, Thursda had some serious anger issues. And, like, and most of the time, like, traditionally in our minds, and this doesn't even have to be referenced, but most of the time, it's the rest, it's the restless dead that come back. Right. Especially in fantasy. It's the ones that have unfinished business on Earth that have revenge or that have a reason to stick around. Exactly. So, I mean, that would make a lot of sense. Sometimes I wonder if okay, this one actually interested me because we haven't talked that much about the human gods, um, or if they actually exist. Okay, because I wonder if Galbatorx has managed to capture the gods themselves and make them his slaves. But then I laugh and call myself a fool. I goes, who whose gods though? The dwarves. Those are the wandering tribes. Like we heard a little bit about the dwarven gods at the beginning of book two. Right. We haven't really touched any of them, as far as I remember. Otherwise, and. I feel like that's not something Palini would leave up to fate. Like, oh, maybe they're real or maybe they're not. I think they're definitely specifically real or not, but Palini isn't telling us yet. Yeah, I do too. I, I, I agree with that. Um, but it's interesting. Also, Aragon says, like, he's not mad. I'm not sure what he is, but he has an uncommon ability. <laughs> also, like, this all happened. Like, Holmes saw all this when his leg got crushed by a rock. Yeah. Like when it happened. Yeah. So this is just interesting. Um, I think okay. Uh, now is actually no, let, let's still save that for later. Let's move on. <laughs> the floating ship. I could have sworn the floating ship was from the which was from earlier in the series. No idea. I can't remember. Um actually, y'all email us only answer if it's from earlier from earlier don't say what it is if y'all answer it just say yes it happened earlier when so and so did this or no you're completely capping armin do not tell us what it is please yes please don't um but actually if y'all could answer that that would be very helpful because it's confusing but um all right end of whispers in the night katrina's (laughs) katrina is leaving you can't fault her. No, no, no. Absolutely, I absolutely not. I'm not faulting her. Uh, let me explain. Katrina's dipping because of the child. Um, and she's going to leave with the child, and I think also she's absolutely right. Like raising a kid in a war campaign, military camp is not not the place to do it. Yeah. Um, my point being, she's definitely going to die. Like, or the kid's going to die, or Roran's going to die, and. Definitely. You just set up. You just set up your foreshadow for trouble, basically. In my head, like you know, yeah. what I mean, like that scenario is yeah, big that foreshadow. Is 
asking for trouble. That's not even foreshadowing trouble. That's like begging for it to happen. Um, because this and the Sway's plant, both of them are asking for trouble because we're splitting up the characters. Yeah, It's like the first rule of horror movies is you never split up, and the first thing they do is split up. Well, hey, if you do the Scooby-Doo style, you at least split up into pairs or groups. And then those invariably split up or both of them die or one of them turns out to be the murderer. And The point is at least they started together splitting up instead of, you know, go, go with the Boy Scout motto. Or not motto, but the, but the buddy partnership, the buddy ship. Oh my goodness, I'm a Boy Scout. I don't even remember what it's called. The, the buddy You're system. There we go. And you don't remember. Yeah, the buddy system. That's what <laughs> I meant to say. God damn. All right. Uh, the buddy system, though. And just always stick with that. Always with your main characters in a book, because guess what? Someone's gonna die if you split them up like this. I mean, yeah. she has all four. Well, I guess not. Those two aren't main characters, but she has the main characters all split amongst everywhere now. Yeah. yeah. By the end no, of this year, or by the end of this chapter. Yeah, I think honestly, honestly, I'm not necessarily certain that Katrina or Roran is going to die, but it's going to be heavily implied, and one of them is going to have to like find the other. It's definitely going to be like, Katrina's in trouble, and Roran's going to have to fight his way across Allegheny to get back to her. I don't. It's like 50-50 really that not. one of them dies. It's like 50-50 that one of them dies, but it's going to be have like Pallini's going to play on the heartstrings with that one. Um, yeah, and I think there's a good chance that Safira is going to get captured. I don't. I really? disagree big time. I'm sorry. Yeah. I disagree. Yeah, as viably like Dragon to Dragon, no, unless Galvatorx comes out of hiding. I mean, I, I like, get it. I can see it happening, but I just disagree. I just don't that's think fair. that could happen. Because I don't want this to be the same exact storyline with Roran and Katrina, now with Aragorn and Saphir. I don't want that. Yes, but like if Aragorn gets captured, then it's going to be the same storyline as uh, Gilead. That's what I'm saying, but I don't think, I don't believe anyone's going to get captured. That's I fair. think I think people either are just gonna die, or no one and, and or everyone's gonna live and just be in battle all the time. Like I don't believe That's anyone's fair. gonna get captured. He's done that three times now. I mean, four times. Yes, he did Arya. He did uh, Aragon. He did Katrina and Sloane combined. I'll take those two together, um, which is three. I mean, I don't yes, want but it like fourth. He also did book-long exposition big battle yeah twice uh, it's, yeah it's it's happening again that's fair <laughs> we're, we're still in the exposition and we're over halfway through this book we at least had a battle a good decent one that's fair but we also did it yazuwa that's true well that wasn't that big of a battle that's it was a fight though it was a good fight yeah yeah uh, regardless anyway anyway so that's just asking for something bad to happen though yeah. like uh, especially if she's going to have the kid there and then transport the kid to wherever she's going. Oh my God. That's just asking for trouble. Yeah. Um, whole but, point is this whole scenario is just asking for trouble people. This whole time, yeah. this whole, like I get it and I respect it. Yes. She needs to be safe. She wants to take care of her child and absolutely. Yes. You know, child. Yeah. I get it. Family's good. Yeah. Better being better. Boom. But uh, she's, yeah. I mean, don't get me wrong. I think Roy just keeps on biting, not biting himself in the, or like, I, I won't say biting himself in the foot, 
which combines bite yourself in the ass and shoot yourself in the foot, which just doesn't make any sense in my head. Um, How do you bite yourself in the ass? I don't know. I don't, I don't even know, dude. I don't get it. I don't, I don't know. So clearly middle of the day, I just, my brain shuts off. That's what happens. Okay. Um, but point is, is Roran talking about how he'll do anything and everything to get to have Palancar Valley again. I mean, don't get me wrong. We already knew this was going to happen. As soon as he got Katrina, we knew he was going to keep on fighting. I mean, we, I think we saw that a long time ago. I think both of oh, us yeah. knew yeah. that a long time ago. He just wouldn't go back to being a farmer. Like, not, not until it was done. Not until the deed was done. And, yeah. and, and okay. And so I just, for me, I'm just like, come on. Like, I hate to say it. And I don't know who it's going to be, but someone has to die. Someone's gonna die. Oh, definitely. Um, yeah, that's yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, you want to move on to orders? In, oh, okay. Yeah. Before before we get into the obscure stuff, let's move on to orders really quick. We already pretty much talked about it, and uh, we've come to the part of the book where the main character starts having bad dreams. Uh, yeah, that happened. Mm-hmm. Um, also, we have a very rare instance of the characters knowing something the audience doesn't. Because we just get random, like, Galvatorix has sent his troops to three different places. And they already knew that. But there's been no mention of mobilization at all. I, actually, my fiance and I are talking about this. Um, we read the session together. And we both agreed, like, we wish we had it from, like, we wish we got to know what the spies learned. I wish there was a little bit more storyline yeah. where like the spies talk to Nisueta and are like, hey, this is what's occurring. Whether that's like with the whole entire like council and everything. I just wish we got to see that action. I'm not saying it's not occurring. I think it is. Obviously it has to be. But I'm saying I wish we were there for that. And I get Aragon can't be there for everything. And there's a lot happening, especially when he decides just to fucking stay in Halgren and walk his way back to the Varden. But point is, is that I wish that we had a little bit more and we had a little bit better perspective of what we, what of how we're actually obtaining this information. Yes. We say spies, but like, are they doing a really good job? Are they getting captured? You know, like stuff like that. Are they getting found out just like the Galatorius spies are getting found out, you know, and stuff like that. Yeah. Also, I'm a little confused as to why they're sacking cities because I get like the, I, I get the weakening the empire's position standpoint, but like if they're gonna sack a city, they're gonna have to supply it, they're gonna have to garrison it, they're gonna have to defend it later on, which means every city that they go through, they're gonna have to leave troops at. And I don't really think Galvatorx gives a fuck. But like, not necessarily. Because I mean, think about it like okay, think about it like this. If, you, if everyone knows the board game Risk, we're going to talk about some Risk strategy here. Okay, Risk. Hear me out, though. Hear me out. Hear me out. Regard. Go hear me it. out. There are territories in this land. You are already back. You don't have to worry what's behind you, really. I mean, you're already back to the sea. You're on the bottom of the fucking like, country, planet, right? You don't have to worry what is behind you. Now, if you had to worry, if you're smack dab in the middle of the world, then yes, that's a different scenario. But their current scenario is... They could just keep moving their troops forward and leave the cities raided. Yes, it's not ideal, but their troops don't have to stay there because as long as they make the right formation and 
go together. And when I've talked about risk, this is what I do. I would just troop through territory and just keep on moving forward and get through the country. I guess I get like kind of the, the game we played. Yes. It didn't work out. The point is, is they wouldn't, the point is, is Armin here wouldn't let the game fucking continue. Neither would his brother. So I got pissed off. So I just went out and fucking tried to kill as many people. But the point is in this scenario, if they already planned to go cover both their South or, or their cover their South West South East and then move just in generally north, north as a, as a whole. They're like they're already accomplishing, kind of spreading out. And in my head, it looks as if like you put a, a like water onto a napkin, and the water just kind of gradually goes through the napkin. And yeah, that's my point. Yeah, and it's fine though. You can you don't have to like long as it's only troops. You don't have to worry about providing for that city. You take those people and you, I mean, most of those cities, if there are people, you just tell them, cool, you are not in control of the empire anymore. Don't be jerks and we'll let you live. Like, I mean, I, I get they don't, they might not see because yes, there's a lot of people and, and soldiers show it too. They think what the empire is doing is fine. And that's, yeah. you know what I mean? Like what they see is the Varden being the bad people, right? But point is, I think if, if, and that's that's the hardest thing that they're going to have to face is trying to convince these people that no, we're not the greater evil. Yes, we're still raiding your land and still taking and destroying your shit, but we're not the greater evil. Like that's the hardest that's the hardest situation they're going to have to run into here. Yeah, I, I've got two counters. Okay. First of all, since the soldiers in the cities still support Galvatorix, the Varden are going to have to lay siege to those cities, which means that if the Varden want to succeed gain those cities without losing their inferior numbers because they have inferior numbers um they're going to have to lay siege to the city and most of the time that means that they're wrecking it siege weapons engines throwing rocks into it and not letting anybody out of that city or cutting their supply lines to said city which means either way the people living in that city die um also the vardner can have to supply themselves with the food of the surrounding area, especially if they're spreading out and going through um, out Serta. And especially if they don't have the resources from Serta, yes, they can buy them, but there's not that much food to go around that you can buy. Right. Um, you might have the money, but you don't have the, well, the supplies not as high as they Exactly. So the Vardner are going to have to supply themselves. That's going to have to come from the people's food, um, which ain't nobody going to be happy about especially if they're going to either steal it or burn it to actually win the siege. Regardless, the Varden are going to have to do that, and that's not going to win them any friends. But here's the thing. Especially, hold on, hold on. I'm okay. not finished. Um, so even if you make it expressly clear that you're only sacking the town for its strategic position or that you're only killing the soldiers, those soldiers have families in those towns. They live there. Also, if you lay siege to those cities, you're going to have to lay siege to them, which means that everybody in them is still going to feel attacked whether you're targeting them or not also tactically the varden are spreading out and that's the problem is because the varden do not have the numbers at all they just don't so if they spread out they've got less troops over a larger area and galbatorix can hit them like hammerheads um and especially if they're moving from city to city they're gonna have to leave people behind because if they don't then yes, they've got nothing behind them, but with that expansive land, people, units can get through. Um, 
especially they don't have any backup. They don't have any reserves. Um, all of their force is in one space. And if that force starts spreading out and has to hold that line over that amount of land, they have no backups to move. They have nobody to support them even behind them. So if something goes wrong, their line breaks that front. If their front breaks, they're screwed. Yeah. Especially when you have aerial units, i.e. dragons. Fair enough. So, like, that's my thing with um, why are they sacking cities? Because if they're sacking cities, they're not really changing Galvatorix's position. He's still the most powerful man in the world right now. Yeah. Yeah. And they can't take they can't attack Urubane until they have the rest of the countryside like taken, or at least until they can like fight their way to Urubane. But they're gonna take essentially it's just gonna be very so much more difficult for them to do it because of the position that they're in. And Galvatorx is vastly superior numbers. I don't think I have anything else for today. My biggest thing is that like the, the, the one thing I wanted to say is there are also, which we don't know anything about because there's no communication with them. What are the elves doing, right? I mean, what are they doing yeah. in the north? That's the only thing that we don't know. And granted, I don't think they're doing much because I think if they were doing a lot, we would hear about it and there'd be a little bit of information about it. But, uh, but for the most part, I don't think we hear that much about it or they're not doing that much. Another thing is, you know, if Nesueta stops shaming the dwarves for being short, she'd have a whole nother <laughs> army to you know i mean like a really big civilization oh i mean that's that's where we're going with this right yeah and i mean that's where that leads us to right where we're what we're talking about uh and what we're what we're discussing so i think all in all my biggest worry especially because like you said if a dragon rider could do it in the varden's little encampment you guess what galatorix can leave his place too my biggest worry yeah. is that as soon as Saphir does go to Furthender to for the um, exactly thing, I mean, you could just send Murtog over, or you just send Thorn over alone. No, I mean yeah. with Murtog, and you just set flame to everything. So I yeah. know you're saying the aerial units. Plus, yeah, yeah, the the dragons complicate things. Also, um, it's like it's like not using your queen in a chess game until halfway through. You know, like you've got people. all the you've got all the pawns out, and you've got like you the other person not even thinking about the queen because the queen hasn't been used yet. You kind of forget about it, and then whoever you're playing against just starts murking the queen across the board. Yeah, yeah. Um, also, also, the existence of Urgles in Nasueda's army fucks her political position. Big with time. the people. Oh yeah, um, I would not want to be in that scenario because even she can explain it all she wants to other soldiers who can fight with them, but for civilians who need, they need their support. If you have a single Urgle or Cull, for that matter, yeah. Um, first of all, in her honor guard. Second of all, if you see a single one in the army that's attacking your city, from the history the Urgles have had with humans, that's not happening. Yeah, I like, think I think the biggest thing is if she. Yeah, I don't. I, yeah, I don't know, dude. This is that's just one a bad big, position. This is like, a big, like she just has a really big shit show. I mean, granted, this whole entire yeah. scenario is a shit show. So there's yeah. just little shits around the shit show. Um, yeah, <laughs> they just need to. Uh, really, all they need to do is assassinate Galvatorix. But you know. Uh, all right. 
Let's wrap this one up. Yeah. So Aragorn's going to go to the dwarfs. I get it. That's important. The yeah. star continuation thing. That's important. Couldn't they have just chosen their own king? Yes. That's how I feel too. I feel like they should just be able to like, just do it. Just do it. Just like, fucking do it. I get that I, politically they probably wouldn't, but in this case scenario. And, and, and don't get me wrong. I love how this way to describes our culture and don't get me wrong. I love how Polini makes that still a part of what's happening. And like that culture for certain races are still there. Also, this is a big point that uh, McNaughts had pointed out that I didn't even think about. Aragon, this is just a little fun fact that we realized Aragon is half elf, half human and legally a dwarf. That's kind of funny. I'm just that saying. Is, yeah. And is, so yeah. imagine all these dwarves walking by, and then you just have this weird dude, really tall compared to everyone else with pointy ears. And that is your marching. I'm just saying. That would be yep. really funny. But uh, it's, it's like Loki and Thor. He's yeah. my brother. He's, he's killed 80 people to do this. He's adopted. <laughs> it's just Auric. Or he's going, yeah, that dragon rider's my brother. He's like, he's half elf, half human. He's adopted. adopted. <laughs> <laughs> but no, he uh so he's gonna go. He's gonna, I mean, I wish they could have just chosen. And in my head, I'm sorry, people, I just believe in that, like, yes, they can have all this build up, but I, I feel like 90, I'll say 95% sure that in the end, Oric is gonna be the leader. I feel like I could go a bunch of different ways, but I don't really think it even matters who like comes out to be leader. It's just like that in terms of timing, it makes a lot of sense for dwarven culture and for all the stuff that we know about the dwarves. That makes sense. It's logical, but just because it's logical doesn't mean it needs to happen. Exactly. Um, and last but not least, Saphir is going to stay. And there's one more thing I wanted to talk about. I think this is okay. one of my big things with, with Palinia's style. We've got, this ties in a lot of what we've been talking about. We've got a lot of random things happening. Now, I think the issue that I take sometimes that we get frustrated with is the fact that Palini is too realistic. I'm actually saying this in terms of fantasy. Like, I honestly think he is world building too much. I didn't think that was possible. Like, I, I've not read a book that world builds as much as this is, and Tolkien included. Really? Um, like, because Tolkien is world building, but Tolkien is story driven. That's true. Um, That's true. But honestly, I think Palini world builds too much to <laughs> an unhealthy extent. Like, um, my point being, it is. Palini captures the sort of idiosyncrasies of life very well and the weird shit that happens that you can't explain. Like the dude who saw a vision, Tanga, Werecats, Angela, um, Elva, the, uh, the ship, he, like the, uh, the two women that's paths don't crosses that Angela was counseling. Like you're not going to know everything. And Palini has a lot of very obscure things that don't really mean much or at least don't mean much right now but it is stuff that aragon may never know about and it's just really obscure things and that is how life works that is logical it is logical that he has to go back and help the thing with the dwarves and it's also logical that the dwarves would follow their personalities and not be able to pick the king 
or not be able to agree on anything. And so Aragon has to go speed them up. Completely logical. All of this makes too much sense. Okay. The thing that I think Palina gets caught up in is that I know most most of y'all have probably heard of suspension of disbelief. There's a narrative element of fantasy that you just have to suspend your disbelief. And some authors are better at it than others, but it's essentially you have to take yourself out of realism and just embrace fantasy. Harry Potter relies everything. (laughs) Harry Potter stakes everything on suspension of disbelief and does it moderately well. Um, I say moderately because a lot of people enjoy it. Wow, but Harry Potter with Harry Potter, I take a lot of issue with it because my suspension of disbelief it, it doesn't work with, with that one that well. <laughs> okay. Um not because of the not because of the magic aspect, because of the lack of defining of said magic aspect. Makes sense. Um but the thing is with Palini, there's no disbelief to suspend. He explains like, everything. He does, which you would on, on surface value, I would think would be a good thing. Right. And it still is a very accomplished work. People like it a lot. He's very, um, he's very articulate. He's a very good writer. Um, I think, okay, this is going to be a weird parallel, but um, I've actually had to read quite a lot of essays on architecture and art and how art is imitation as a difference from photocopying. And uh, one of the essays that I read was that it's the distance it's the metaphorical distance between the subject and what you create that makes it art. It's the differences. It's not the photocopy. Here, it's the distance between reality and this world that Palini is building that is <clears throat> either too small. Like, obviously, this doesn't happen in the real world, but the amount that he explains and the amount that he logics through, honestly, the fantastical element is kind of getting overwhelmed with the explanation, the logic, the background, the world building. Um, it makes for a very complete world. And there's, in terms of suspension of disbelief, yes, you have to suspend your belief in magic, your disbelief in magic, your disbelief in dragons, but like so much is explained that the fantastical element is kind of lost at on, on me at times okay um this is pro- one of the reasons it's because we're reading this deep um right if most people that i imagine that would read this at service level would not really get caught up in that because they would skim through those sections and read the interesting parts or not the interesting parts the parts relating to the story I know like red said like red skipped through like I, like red just you skim through the parts that don't seem as important oh yeah he skipped through all the roaring sections then when Roran came in contact with Aragorn, it's like, wait, what the fuck? It had to go back and read all this. But I go, you're okay, saying. Okay, yeah. Well, Red was the extreme version, but still. <laughs> when, you read a, when you read a book and something, like, we skim through the parts that aren't as interesting and the captivating parts, we read word for word. So for most people reading this, this is probably not an issue. Like for most people reading this, I imagine most people just skim through the parts and, and read word for word. They're like the really nice imagery descriptions or like they're really yeah. cool um, <laughs> Uh, yeah. like the battle scenes the, the the fantasy stuff but if you read this word for word like i'm doing or like that we do for this podcast it becomes very so much more focused on world building and logic than the story yeah. um and that's sort of what i think the a lot of our issues surmount to is that for us to read a fantasy story we don't need a complete world like okay. that is 
that's what suspension of disbelief does in a broader sense is that um like if i read a story yes there's a there's a difference like there's plot holes obviously we don't want plot holes right but i think palomini takes issue with saying just because and most of the time i do too but sometimes you just need to say just because <laughs> like a lot of times like you'll see in movies you'll go through this huge like obstacle thing like cave fucking thing we're like how the fuck are you gonna like get through like a yeah. big gap but like once they get through the end they just appear on the outside again without any struggle like it's kind of those types of things where you just got to be just because and that's the way the story is going to continue yeah and there's there is a very big nuance too just because like just because it's very annoying if they don't do it right or yeah. if whoever makes it doesn't do it right but in movies you see it, they cut it out all the time especially oh, when they imitate the books like watch any of the harry potter movies they take out so many of the tiny little scenes that happen in between because they're not necessary. Oh yeah. Like um, it, I remember watching it, watching like the fifth and this is why I like the, uh, this is why I like the, this is why I liked when they made the seventh book, two movies. I wish they made the sixth yeah. book, two movies also, but that's, I really, I really enjoyed it. I really enjoyed the seventh movies because they do a little bit better at taking these smaller things. Whereas yeah. in like movie five and six, Literally, the fiance, I just thought we we're there's like reading summaries, like that's it. It just felt so small compared to what we had read, it would yeah. like it just didn't make any sense. And so, yeah, but an yeah. example of them doing that well is in actually the first movie, uh, at the very beginning. You know how Harry gets all the letters, mm-hmm. um, he's like jumping movie, around and everything, yeah. In the movie, uh, Harry gets them, um, all at once in the, in the house, yeah, and then they drive away and then they get them in the rock, yeah. It skips the letters coming in the mail for like two weeks. Like they come in the mail, they come under the door, they come yeah. in like the uh, in the milk bottles, and yeah. they also they go they first go to a friend's house, I think. Uh, then they go to a hotel. I think they just like, go straight uh, to the hotel. Yeah, but, yeah. but like, they go to the hotel. The the hotel gets all the letters. Yeah. So like, there's a couple steps in between there, and the movie doesn't show that because all that you need to know is that Harry's getting spammed with letters. Yep. And they cut out all that stuff because it's not needed. It's fun. It's like it's a good it's good filler for the book. It's not needed in terms of and like hour and a half long movie. Exactly. That was extremely well done because the point of it is not lost on us. Exactly. Um, with, I think this is one of the reasons why the Aragon movie was unsuccessful, aside from being illy produced. I think that Alini has essentially built a Jenga tower, um, and you can't. He's made it so that he like his he is. So reliant on his past knowledge and on all of the things that he's done in terms of the book in terms of how it's written in terms of what's happened he constantly is building so if you don't acknowledge something it's gonna fall down right um so back at the very beginning the very beginning like the beginning of book one okay i believe i remember saying that palini puts himself into situations like he puts his characters into situations where they have to go a specific way right um he's still doing that he's putting himself in positions where he has to address this topic right um because of how much building he did in the first place which is his style and that's how he writes and that's by no means bad he's a very excellent writer because of it but in terms of fantasy and in terms of close reading it's just not my preference i hear you because um if i'm going to focus on a story all the little stuff is 
it's not pointless. It has meaning, but it is less consequential to the actual overall overall story. Right. And that's what almost all of the first part of this book has been. It's been either patchwork or groundwork, and it's all relied on previous content. And it hasn't really done much for the progression of the story per se. It's like, it's, it's getting us to a place. What, yeah. Sometimes if the author wants to focus on the journey, they make the journey the point of the story. If you're trying to get us to a specific place, then you don't need to focus on the journey. Pallini's right. trying to get us to a specific place and telling us every single footpath of the journey. <laughs> um, so I think that's why we're taking so much. We're, that, I think that's why we're getting annoyed with a lot of this extra explanation, How and background, and patchwork, and groundwork, and all that stuff is because we just want to get to the story. Yeah. That you keep on pressing the Y button in Skyrim and it just don't skip to where you need it to. <laughs> okay. Uh, no, that's fair. And, 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 and it's nothing to say against Pellini. Like this work Absolutely is still not. great. It's great. And again, when Armin talked about like why, quote unquote, quoting why the film might not be successful, he hasn't seen it yet. And so he's, I mean, we haven't seen it. So he's, yes. we don't know for sure whether that's, that's pure the, scenario, yes. uh, the scenario or not. Um, but yeah, no, th- I mean, I hear you. And like this story is just, it's just drawn out. And like, yeah. and again, and, and again, we recognize that we're reading it at a snail's pace, probably even slower and yeah. uh, maybe a dead snail's pace. Uh, <laughs> and so like, I get it. I get it. And that's why like, I really would love to go back and read this series all the way through at my own pace, like my actual yeah. pace of reading. And Armin would read it at his. And we could do like, once we reread it through, like, oh, wow, like, I'm not saying this isn't a good series already, but like, it makes a little bit more sense why he could have so much in it because, and why it made such a great story. And I know I was talking to Red and he said something to me the other day. He was just like, I was like, dude, this feels so drawn out. He was like, yeah. But if you read it at the pace that you usually read and not the pace I did, it doesn't seem drawn out. It seems to flow very well. So I, we recognize yes. that it's our pace that's what's causing us yeah. to feel annoyed about the scenario. Yeah, that's the two, the two qualifiers that I wanted to put in there. First of all, in terms of the movie, um, that was by no means, yes, I have not seen the movie. And mostly my point there is that Palini's style of writing doesn't really fit movies because the movie is like, every movie that's based on a book has to summarize it. It has to pick out the parts that are the most important or the parts that they think people will enjoy the most and put that on a screen. And that's why I think a TV show would be great for his series. Absolutely. So like, but Palini's writing style, every little detail is important and that's how he writes. That's fantastic. It's very interesting. If every detail is important, you can't omit any. And if you can't omit any, then you can't really make a movie out of it. Not with the size of these books. So I agree. Actually, the TV show for that purpose would be better. I'm changing my mind on that. But um, because you can't pull out because like, once again, the Harry Potter example, they pulled out like a solid like 20 pages or 30 pages out of that. Easily. Um, just for the specific little letter scene. If you pulled 20 or 30 pages out of this. You're still in the same movie, scenario that you were. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. That was really rude. <laughs> I mean, you probably would be, but there'd be at least three characters that you didn't know about. Yeah. So it's very, like the density of this is interestingly enough, not great for a, not, it's less conducive to a close read. 
I really um, hope that everything that's random in this series connects. It absolutely will be. And the reason I, I say this is because it'll make me feel better about having taken so long and make me feel yeah. a little bit less worse about being rude. Yeah. <laughs> but like, point is, this um, is like, maybe it'll make me feel, no, wait, that's the other way around. It'll make me feel worse for being rude because it actually all connected. That's what I meant to say. That's um, I'm sure it does, but that's definitely, uh, and I also realized most of y'all probably have never had this thought in terms of pacing and in terms of um, like all the stuff that we're going back to, like yeah. the pace that most people read. I could see this as being not a problem at all. Right. Um, but for us doing a very close literary read of this, um, it is, uh, that, that's how it seems. It's drawn out. It feels drawn out. That's it. Um, plus, this is why most like literary things you read in a lit class are short. That's true. Because you can't assign every sentence a meaning. But if you do, it's got to be not that many sentences. So, yeah. <laughs> um, that's, that's why you mostly read like short stories poetry or like like novellas uh-huh. um, although we did read the Iliad which was not short by any means but I don't read that one I, I think you'd enjoy it it's okay. you'd have to get past a lot of syntax oh, uh, like a lot of like old timey yeah. speech because it was it was initially from like spoken verse but okay. huh. right. it's very interesting it is one of my favorite stories but mm-hmm. I do want to say before like we kind of wrap it up here, I really enjoyed the connection and, and I really enjoyed the growth that Aragon has come from in terms of Absolutely. communicating with Safira in this moment. Yes, yeah. don't get me wrong, he acts like a complete little bitch. I mean, a straight little bitch. And it's like a teenager, like straight up. And, and, that, and, that's, and that's fair though. He came back a few days ago, which also... In my head, we've covered a hundred pages, I think, and and he's it's only been a couple of days. Yeah, but point is, is that it, he came back a few days ago, and now he's being told to go somewhere else, away from his significant other. Let's be honest, that's pretty much what she is, and they are together. Um, and 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 and, and so like, yeah, and, but I, I really like how he's like, okay, I need another outside view on this. I need another person's perspective. Then the person yeah. who it's, it's, it's very, it's the same thing when I was growing up, but my parents told me to do something or something. I hated it. I didn't want to do it. Duh, duh, duh. I'd go talk to, honestly, I talked to Armin or I talked to like one of my uh, youth, uh, when I was growing up, my youth pastor was a great guy. And I still talk to him day, uh, all the time. Yeah. Whenever I get into a difficult situations um, and I talked to him and he'd be like, well, what if you look at it this way? Or what if you think about it this way? And that helped me a ton. And so I love the growth that Aragon has here. And and, and, and it kind of annoys me that he, I'm not, I'm not going to say threatens. I, I guess he kind of, I mean, Lachman Orzi, yeah, I kind of does threaten this way. Though. Not like, like uh, in like a attacking kind of manner, but in terms of her leadership and in terms of her position. And it kind of annoyed me that the Sueda decided that she just couldn't punish him. That one bothered me. I don't know about you. I feel like her actions and her choice yeah. could have been a little bit more, like I get, I get what she's saying. And it makes sense, but yeah. Guess Nesueta's what? response was annoying me. Yeah. Um, like Nesueta's response was really annoying me. She's nah, she's calling falling off the edge. She I know she just and for me, I loved her in book one for the yeah, last like the two sentences we had. I loved her in yeah. book two and the whole entire series, the whole entire book. I don't know what's happening right now. And, yeah. and, and, and really, the beginning of this one too. Like and, the trial, like long knives and like yeah. all that stuff was and, yeah. And I think it's 
I don't think she would do this, but would you ever, you know, the scenario where people put, I don't know how to, I don't know how to, to, to make themselves look like a hero. They do something to make it, the, their actions seem just uh, to make them look like a hero. Oh, Does that make sense? Yeah, I don't know how to yeah. describe that, but like, so like, um, like when you, uh, okay, hold up. I'm, I have no specific examples of what you're talking about. In my head, um, in my head the easiest one is like, let's, and, and, and of course, I, I never do this. I, I say it's not that cold outside. And so I can look like the hero when I give my fiance my jacket. You yeah. know, like I get that's like a very small, like it's very small comparatively. Um, and granted, she's always cold. So just she brings like a wool coat even in like 60 degree weather. So, but and I don't, I doesn't like, I don't know how she doesn't die of heat stroke. But um, the point is, is, but point is, is that's the scenario where you you make something occur to make it look like you were the good guy, and that's what that's I like feel a, like sometimes she's doing. That's what like I feel Zootopia. like she's doing. Yes. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, like the whole like the whole plot is Zootopia. Yeah. Whole plot is Zootopia. Um, it's not a good movie. Um, which is great, but I didn't even watch it again. Um, yeah. Um, but the, the, the exact scenario where you directly make it bad, or quote unquote give up, or make it worse, so you because you already had the power to begin with to make it good and that's what i that's what i see when she talks about like oh let's spread the army out and everything like that yeah she's gonna spread the army out and then she's gonna make sure they all get better like i don't like and my worry is she's gonna spread herself too thin and it's gonna it's gonna it's gonna bite her in the foot and bite her in the ass and shoot her in the foot at the same time all three bite her in the foot (laughs) all three and shoot her in the ass all four there we go there we go um that's that's fair i agree um that's and again i don't think she's like that i don't believe she is i don't want that her i don't want that to be her but that's Honestly, what it seems like what do you think of dissuaded dies the vardens thrown in complete disarray and aragon no longer has the backing of an army i believe this is what's gonna happen you ready respectfully Inzanzadi is gonna take charge somehow uh, of not not the Varden, but of the rebellion. The like That's the, fair. the the like yeah. the actual act of rebellion. And the elves will come into play if that occurred. That's my scenario. I don't if she does die, Miss Wada, if she does die, I don't think it will be till book four halfway through. Fair enough. Like I don't Honestly, think it's gonna be I think it's gonna be another like, oh shit, this is like the worst case scenario. Duh, duh, duh. Honestly, if I were writing this, I actually I would have a lot of fun with this scenario I proposed. Like with having the suede die, like be the person that dies, and the Varden completely destroyed. Okay. Like just thrown into disarray in fighting, just completely fall and play with that and see how that would go for story with Aragon having to take on the entire empire without an army. That would be kind of cool. I think I think um, the greatest scenario, and I say this. You know who I think would you know who I'd love to take charge of the Varden? And I know it could never ever happen. You're about to say Roran, aren't you? No. Okay, never mind. I don't want I don't want Roran to be a leader. He That's fair. he's yeah. He did he did what he needed to, and I think he should just be a warrior. Uh yeah. again, this is never ever gonna happen. But the reason I say it is because of this of this scene in his own thought process, even to the the minuscule things. The coal. Who? Nicole. Nar Garzvok. Oh, oh, oh. I thought you said Nicole. I was like, who the fuck is Nicole? Uh, I said the, I yes, said the yeah, Cole. 
Narcar. Oh wow! Now that no, I know could never ever well. ever happen, and that would be cool. But so, um, I don't like again. I don't see her dying, and if she does, it'd be fourth book halfway through in my head. Um, and then honestly, what would happen in my head is Jormander would take take charge. Yeah, and whether like he, he, but the thing is, the thing is, he doesn't, I don't think he has the backbones like Nasueda does. No. And I don't know if Orin does. I don't think Nasueda would die, but I think if she did, the Vard would completely dissolve. Oh, yeah, definitely. I um, think the Vard which, would be no more. Yeah, which is why I would be tempted to see how that would go in terms of writing it out. Um, just that would, that would, that would be a fun storyline to play with, like yeah. just to like see how that would affect Aragon and like, especially with character all the carbohol people like there's so much you could throw with that yeah um anything else you like to say about this with her telling him to go we we did a pretty deep dive into this one that was uh oh yeah yeah but um no this was this had a lot of like uh more like literary stuff to talk about oh yeah definitely Um, this is one of our if you guys uh this is one of our literary lessons (laughs) yes um Uh, not lessons more just musings um if you're learning from me then go, go read a school. book because there's school. there's better things there's better sources to learn from <laughs> just uh, go just go read how to how to what is it how to read like a little professor i've got actually two more for you um how to read how to read literature like a professor um the uh the one on prose that palini recommended us um i started reading it. it's very good okay. um and uh, the last one's called Style. My lit professor recommended it to me. Okay. Um, but it is uh, um, uh, it's essentially all about sentence structure, like um, word choice, just uh, essentially like establishing a literary style. Um, it's very interesting. It's very okay. But. <sighs> I don't know if I have anything else to say. Yeah, I'm about done for this one. Um, thank you all for bearing with us. I know that was a lot. Yeah, we're trying just to... And I think... I really do enjoy having a little bit bigger sections like this, where it's like 40, yeah. 50 pages. So yeah. I think I think we're going to try and stick to a 40, 50 page uh, kind of reading section, just so... And granted, I mean, if I read a chapter and it's just packed full, yeah, I'll cut it. You know, I'm not going to... Be like, all right, cool. We're gonna talk about this for three hours, and don't get me wrong, we'll end up talking for three hours if that's the scenario. I just don't want to edit three hours of audio personally. So, yep. you know, call me selfish, but uh, huh, you do it. Uh, with that being said, though, I think I think we're good. I'm I'm enjoying it. It's we're just kind of getting a little bit bigger sections. We're halfway. Yeah. Are we halfway through yet? Book three yet? Are we halfway? Um, I think my book's downstairs. I think we're actually no we're really not um oh my gosh keep on thinking we're halfway got, through no no we've got uh 748 pages and we're at 373 <laughs> so uh we are like 10 pages from halfway nice actually yeah uh, no 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 we're, we're past halfway because 350 350 is 700 and um, we're at oh, 373. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so we're a little yeah. past halfway. Yeah. All right. We, we finally hit the halfway mark, guys. Woohoo. Uh, Ooh, yeah. Uh, all right. Uh, thank you all for listening. If you want, 
don't know, don't know if you want, but please go just go leave a five-star review in iTunes. I want to see those five stars keep on going up and up and up and up and up and up and up all the way up. Um, and tell your friends, tell your family, listen to us. We're fun. We talk a lot. I wonder why, because it's podcast, but we talk a lot. <laughs> and we like to have a good time. And uh, it is Super Bowl Sunday. So we're going to ask, yeah. Yeah, I'm going to ask Armin here two questions. First off, Joe Burrow. I don't, okay, look, I hope so. I really hope so. I don't think the Bengals line has it, man. I really don't. I, I, I don't think the Bengals O-line has the chops. And, okay, this is what I think is going to happen. I think that they're going to get their ass smacked around so fucking hard in the first half. But the second half, they're going to regroup and come back. And it's going to be a close game in the second half. And that's what's going to annoy me because, like, if they're getting their ass whooped in the first half, it doesn't make me want to watch the second. But I have that's a feeling right. that they could come back in that in the fourth quarter even and really yeah. get their grip, like, at least hold them. Does, does the Bengals have a good D-line? I forget. <laughs> okay. I, I don't know. Um, okay. Uh, who's, who's doing the halftime show? Uh, you got – I think you got Snoop, Eminem, Lamar – and two other people. I think there's like five people total doing it. Damn, really? But apparently, yeah, yeah. It's not like one so person wait, hold this up. time. Yeah. Oh, Dr. Dre, Kendrick, Eminem, Snoop, and Mary J. Billis are blessed. That's it. Yeah. That, that's going to be a good show. That is going to be a good show. Um, yeah. He's got Mary J. in there. Yeah. <sighs> All right. Well, that being said, go Bengals. Oh, the second question. What is your favorite Super Bowl dish? Because everyone Bruh. has one. It's it's that cheese dip that my dad makes. That cheese I, sausage dip. That's mine, some good. Minus shit. two. Minus two. And guess what? And guess what's the problem? Guess what's the problem? Your dad's fucking vegan now. Oh, come! You can convince him to make it. No, he's already he's already going to be making uh, vegan cheese dip with no sausage. Maybe yeah. I'll have to make some. No, but they don't have nieces up here. No, damn, really. No, it's All it's right. a it's a sudden thing. All right, but whatever. Damn. Go go Bengals. Boot. Football. Uh, everyone knows today's an American holiday. Um, uh, trust me, no one's gonna go to one and go to work tomorrow. Um, it's just the way it is. No, especially all, if they're lonely. <clears throat> Sorry, that was mean. And on that sad, sad, happy note. Uh, <laughs> anything else you'd like to say, Armin? Nah. Thanks for listening, y'all. Take care. <sighs> That's a wrap. Flights of Allegasium is produced by Chip and Armin. Hosted by Chip and Armin. Graded by Chip and Armin. Edited by Chip. Music is by Oscar Barbeza. Website is by Chip. Illustrations are by Birdie Taylor. Thank you for listening. Have a great day.